All right, it's Doug White from G Unit Studios at the Rhomboid Table. I'm I'm there. It's the news wrap up for the week of four April 2021. Elon, Ubiquity, Acelian, Toadsuck.gov, and more plus show wrap ups. This is Security Weekly for security professionals by security professionals. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Cybercriminals are working overtime. They're leveraging activity around the COVID vaccine to disguise phishing attacks, hoping to steal money or personal information from your employees or customers. The Barracuda Email Threat Scanner is a free tool you can use right now to help protect your business and ultimately your reputation. The Barracuda Email Threat Scanner analyzes your Office 365 accounts and identifies malicious emails that slip past your gateway and into inboxes. Find the cybersecurity threats hiding in your Office 365 email. Use the Barracuda Email Threat Scanner for free right now at securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. As technology continues to evolve and expand, so have the attackers that put our critical systems in jeopardy. Core Impact from Core Security is a penetration testing tool that safely finds vulnerabilities using the same techniques of adversaries. With certified exploits and wizards that guide you through critical pen tests while maximizing the time of advanced testers by automating their routines. With Core Security, you can safeguard your infrastructure by limiting access, detecting threats, testing for security weaknesses, and efficiently monitoring data. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash core security. All right. It's the show wrap ups on application security weekly number 146. John and Mike had Leif Dreisler. He's the engineering manager of product security at Segment. Uh, he was on and they were talking about the strat, the strated strategiums towards uh, putting the SEC in DevSec. And, and what they were really talking about was about how you know, we, we spend a lot of time now talking about shifting left and, and all this kind of focus. But the focus of this conversation was on how to create partnerships rather than just saying, okay, we're going to stick you with a security specialist who is supposed to be, you know, like, I don't know, doing oversight or whatever. When, and, and I mean, and those don't often work, but they, they wanted to figure out how do you build partnerships between security and software engineers. So, so a good, a good topic to get started with. On Business Security Weekly, number 212, Paul, Jason, and Matt welcome uh, John McClure, uh, the CISO at Laureate Education, or, oh, sorry, Laureate, Laureate Education. And John was talking about the implementation of SOAR and accelerating security in your organization. In the second segment, uh, news stories developing a risk management approach to cybersecurity, uh, how automation can protect against data breaches, the problem with cyber insurance, outdated incentives, and more. So uh, I, anytime I see insurance, I want to go watch that segment. So that's, that's something I, I I have a big interest in, like the idea of how underwriting can, and you've probably heard me say this stuff on on various shows, but how underwriting can start to draw uh, solutions to problems because nobody wants to pay out those settlements, right? Follow the money. Uh, on Enterprise Security Weekly 222, Adrian, Paul, and Tyler Shields had Ryan Noon, the co-founder and CEO of Material Security. Ryan was talking about the significance of recent hacks like SolarWinds and Hafnium, as well as talking about building products with the assumption that bad actors will successfully hack inboxes, which is a pretty good assumption. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, and it was just like basically the idea was that you might as well just – 
cut to the chase because assume, I mean, people have been falling for phishing scams and social engineering scams as long as I've been in this business, which is a pretty long time. And I don't think we're going to stop people from falling for these anytime soon. I mean, no matter how much training you give, somebody's going to click that link. So let's just move on. The second segment had John Locatus, the VP of R&D at Eclipsium on the show to talk about firmware attacks. And he was he was talking about how 83% of businesses have experienced at least one firmware attack, but most of those had a lack of visibility into the attack surfaces involved. And and I've certainly seen that when I talk to people and we're talking about firmware and I I've been more in the ICS realm, but talking about that kind of stuff, they often just don't really have any, you know, answers to that, or the answers are very antiquated, you know, like, oh, we're not connected to the internet. I'm like, really? You're not? That's that's not connected to the internet? And sometimes they're right, you know, and you go down in this, like, basement and go, wow, no, I guess this isn't connected to the internet, but a lot of times like, oh, what's this? And they're like, oh, that's our Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> you're like, that that's not connected to the internet? Oh, uh, well, maybe. Uh, in the third segment, the news. On Security and Compliance Weekly number 6-8, Jeff, Josh, Kat, Valentine, and Scott were talking with Errol Weiss, uh, the, C- the CISO at Health ISAC. Uh, Errol was speaking about his experience with information sharing and building uh, the very first uh, information sharing and analysis center in 1999. So, you know, some good things came out of Y2K, and you actually saw stuff like this getting put together back then because people were really starting to think about security threats. And Y2K was sort of one of the first inroads where people started realizing that maybe there was more to this and that maybe there were threats and threat vectors from technology, and they really hadn't talked about that before. In the second segment, the conversation with Errol continues, which, I mean, it's net, I mean, security compliance because you're never going to get through everything in, in one segment, right? I mean, it's just not possible. I mean, I mean, look at, look at who's on that show. I'm not saying that as a bad thing either. On Security Weekly News number 113, Jason Wood talked about a recent problem in the UK where the government initiatives to bring people to cybersecurity were pointing to a domain that they didn't control. And I have a story about something like this today. Um, but, uh, so it's kind of an interesting story about how, you know, they make this whole initiative about getting people involved and then, you know, the, yeah, (laughs) think it through, uh, on Paul security weekly number six, nine, zero last night, Leonard Koopman, uh, the CTO at Greylog joined the crew to discuss enzyme, which is a new kind of Wi-Fi IDS or WIDS. I I don't know. WIDS. I don't know how you say it, but, uh, it is an interesting idea. It's something we need. Um, they were looking at hardware fingerprints and signal strengths and all kinds of things like that as a way to create alerts, which is really a, a good idea. I, I, some of the stuff that he was talking about, I hadn't really thought about, especially about signal strengths. I was like, that, that's kind of interesting. You know, like, like you might be able to actually do that. Also, there was some kind of Schrodinger's cat thing going on because uh, uh, there appeared to be a debate on, on different, the different other platforms. There was sort of a debate going on about whether he would show the cat that he had in his picture or not during the show. And, you know, it got kind of weird. There was some esoterica going on there. In the second segment, Dutch Schwartz, uh, the principal security specialist at AWS, joined the team to talk about how less than 15% of enterprise customers are cloud native, which doesn't really, that number didn't really shock me. Initially, I was like, well, that's not very many. But then I was like, yeah, but I mean, really? I mean, how many people do you know that are cloud native? But the main focus of the segment then was to talk about the common mistakes everybody makes in cloud migration and how you can avoid making them, which was interesting to me because I was in a meeting just a couple of days ago where we were talking about just that very thing. And they were talking about how do we migrate to the cloud, what kind of problems could come up. So definitely worth checking out. And in the third segment, of course, the security news. 
My favorite thread of the week is going to be dealing with ponage, a word I have trouble saying. Ponage, ponage, I never say it right. Um, but so you're pwned, I'm pwned, we're all basically pwned. Um, the website, have I been pwned, is a quick way to see if your email, username, or whatever is in any of the giant breach databases, uh, like the recent Facebook 533 million uh, user leak uh, or any of these other massive breaches that seem to happen, you know, pretty much every day there's a breach. Uh, you know, now we're not even, rep it's just like shootings. Now we don't bother to report ones that aren't, you know, like hundreds of millions. So I saw one today and it was like a million. Oh, yeah, and that's no big deal. Um, most likely some of your uh, user IDs and email addresses are going to be in these Ponage database uh, from some breach or the other. Probably all of them are. I actually put almost all mine in, and, and yeah, guess what? They're all there. Um, you know, I mean, every time you use your identity, whether it's uh, it's an email address or some other identifier, well, it goes into a database on that site along with a mechanism that links, uh, if you're lucky, that links your password through you know through assault to that uh, ID or all the other information they may be collect, uh, collecting about you when you visited that particular server. And all that info about you is so very, very valuable that they track your every click. I mean, marketing wants to know what you read, what ads you look liked. If they could figure out a way to access your camera and see where your eyes were going on the screen. I've read articles about that, about marketing tactics where they were trying to figure out what were people looking at. Uh, what did you post? Where did you post it? And as much demographic data as they can possibly get from you so they can use it as a means to market you more. Because the more they can identify you by your interests and whatnot, the easier and, and the more valuable that information becomes. So they collect as much as they can get away with. So the next part of that equation then became they may sell all of it or part of it because you probably clicked that user agreement when you went to the website, right? So, you know, they said, please click our, you know, privacy agreement and you clicked it because you didn't want to read. I just saw one the other day. I was being asked to take a test. They said that the, the, the legal agreement for me to take this training that I was required to take as part of a job was over 4,000 words. I was supposed to read and it was all legalese, you know, the party of the first part shall not meet with the party of the second part unless the party of the third part has had time to, you know, and and they use words like fungible and all these kind of things. You need an attorney set with you to, ch to click this, but instead you expect you just to click it and move on. Now, in the last few years, you probably started seeing some of the laws like the, like the EU passed a law, California passed a law, which has started limiting what they can do. And, and of course, that doesn't really necessarily stop them, right? I mean, it's hard to prove if they're doing it or not doing it until they get caught. So they sell it all and they sell it as often and to as many buyers as they can. Now, add to that breaches, which have exfiltrated all this data from the database and the main database. And that breach may include things they don't want to disclose or don't disclose or they deny or they say, we don't think this happened like ubiquity. And, 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 you know, they may have personal information being disclosed like credit card numbers, social security numbers, addresses, your blood type, the fact that you have Paul's face tattooed on your back. I, I don't have Paul's face tattooed on my back, but, but I think we're, have to, we're going to have to get that next year. You know, all that kind of stuff. But add all that together and suddenly your data is pretty much everywhere, whether you even realize it or not. Now, the most common types of attacks these days revolve around credential stuffing, 
Why not? That's the easiest way to do it, right? And it's not even really an attack. It's just like I have I have credentials. I'm going to log in. So they use my credentials to log in. So a simple script, I can try a million username and password combos on a million different sites, and I can just leave that running and bada bing, bada boom. Uh, you know, likewise though, that data can be used in more sophisticated ways to either try and answer your security questions. That's a, certainly an, an approach, or even more commonly, just to create believable phishing attacks. So if you get an email from your boss and it has content that looks realistic, that's going to be very valuable to people that are trying to fish you or hit you with ransomware. All these things have value and they're being sold legally and they're also being sold en masse on the dark web. And attackers always want to use these things to break into whatever they can. So if you use the same credentials on your bank account that you used on MrFooFoo.com, well, you know, you get the idea. So we really need to make sure that we stress to all your people that they do not use the same credentials on the enterprise network that they use everywhere else. Because if you don't, you're going to get stuffed, right? So likewise, you have to have multi-factor and, and the users will definitely do this. They will definitely use the same credentials over and over and over again. And I know that you told them not to. I know that you said it. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And unless you put mechanisms in place to detect that, which is hard to do, they're going to do it anyway. So you almost have to have multi-factor or this is going to work on you. So you, you, for everybody else, for all the individuals out there, you must use different credentials on your accounts, especially any account that could allow for financial loss. So if somebody could get money from you, whether it's a Bitcoin wallet or it's a bank account or, a, or an investment account or anything else, that's the ones they're after. Uh, at the enterprise level, of course, all these C-suite credentials are particularly valuable, so they're really after that. And even strong passwords won't save you if the whole data structure has been exfiltrated somewhere and they have the strong password. So what? It can be 600 characters long with random letters and numbers, but if it was extracted in, a, in another breach, it doesn't really help anything. Uh, you know, so, I mean... I know your site's not going to get compromised, but MrFooFoo.com probably will. So, and, and MrFooFoo.com may have gotten your credentials, whether you know it or not, because those credentials may have been sold to MrFooFoo.com by Facebook. So, or they were bought on the dark web. Uh, who knows? So it, it's just like this horrible, you know, Ouroboros kind of problem. So in the end, I've been foaming at the mouth about this for a long time and I'm foaming at it about, about it again here today. Get rid of passwords. Well, that's a great idea, but we have to have something to replace it with. And until that happens, we need strong passwords, constantly different passwords as you go from site to site to site, preferably different user IDs as you go from site to site to site, limited use of, of any other kinds of username, and multi-factor authentication. Or, well, you can just live with being ransomware, you know, just like every every day, you know, or twice a day even. Maybe the ransomware people will ransomware the ransomware, and it'll get even weirder. All right, and now the news. Uh, in the first story, uh, I wanted to report on this again because this particular story actually was about targeting security professionals. Uh, a company called Securalite, uh, which claims to be a Turkish-based company, uh, has been associated with a North Korean government-backed APT. Uh, the company has a website which professes to be a security research uh, company that is, you know, developing pen testing information and so on. And it very closely resembles a similar website that was set up by the APT in the past. And in fact, the public key on these previous attacks 
is at the bottom of the page for this one as well. And what they did in the past, and they have not apparently done that yet here, but in the past, they would approach people who were security researchers or people who found their website and said, oh, I'm interested in your pen test research. And they offered to share things with you and, and develop trust and all this. And then eventually they sent you a link to, uh, yeah, to, a, it was a, um, a Visual Studio project that contained malware, uh, like a backdoor Trojan. Uh, but anyway, this same uh, key that you found there was used in January in another attempt that was involving this uh, this Visual Studio exploit or a, and, and had a link to a browser exploit and on and on and on. The company has fake LinkedIn profiles and other social media profiles, as well as emails and so forth. One employee who is reputedly based in Kiev, Ukraine, uh, his name was Piper Webster. It was like a common Ukrainian name, Piper Webster. I guess he'd just be, you know, located there. But the article contains a full list of all the sites, the Twitter accounts, and emails of the known fake users. But I would say pretty much anything to do with Secure Elite is probably dangerous. Uh, I mean, have fun, you know, not illegal fun, but you know, you could, you could have some fun with that. I mean, since they already know that Piper is a pretty common name in the Ukraine, I thought, you know, I might get them in touch with Foamy Trouser Bottom or something like that, who's an old friend of Piper's and see what they might, maybe they would call me. That would be kind of fun. Uh, this story is encouraging all cities and towns to take control of their .gov top level domain. Uh, according to the story, only about 10% of cities and towns actually have a .gov address, which means that badaxe.gov, baldknob.gov, chunky.gov, centercorner.gov, dryprong.gov, frankenstein.gov, hohokus.gov, monkeyseyebrow.gov, sohigh.gov, peculiar.gov, gross.gov, toadsuck.gov, pigot.gov, why and why not.gov and so forth. I could read a whole list. All those, all those are real towns, by the way. Uh, I don't know if they actually have .gov address or not, but typically they do not own their high level .gov domain for their town, which means that, you know, they can easily be exploited. Um, the .gov act was passed last December and allows CISA to manage the .gov domain. So that was a move to push that .gov stuff under the control of CISA. So if your town is still using a Yahoo address, think about it, really. I mean, when I get email from toadsuck at yahoo.com, I tend not to pay attention. Uh, and a lot of people are going to dump your email. So you might want to try to get a little more official with it. And I've gotten these emails from people uh, at various places where I either own land or something. So, you know, move, move to the modern uh, approach. The Acelian file transfer appliance story was a big deal this week. If you're unfamiliar with Acelian, and you probably are unless you work for a higher ed or, or government or something, uh, Acelian uh, had a product called FTA, which was a secure file transfer program that's very similar to something like Dropbox. And it's pretty old. So this is a, a fairly old product. But what happened was this was a company that specialized in focus on higher ed, secondary ed, government, hospitals, and people like that. And they sold products to them. And basically what happened was the, this tool got embedded in a lot of custom proprietary tools on campuses and hospitals and so forth and all those education users that are out there. 
And it's supposedly a secure file transfer tool, like say Dropbox, that allows for the exchange of various FERPA or other HIPAA, FERPA, all these kind of documents. So that, you know, within the company, when you need to send something over to this other department, you had a mechanism to do this. So people built this into their proprietary tools. Well, the old version is still heavily used and they've replaced this, mind you. Uh, with another one, but that's not something easy to do. When you go to universities and you say, I want you to tear out, you know, the edumatron that you've got at the university and it cost $12 million to build back in 1971 and you're still using it because a lot of universities do not have the budget to just jump in there and revise all this stuff or to buy commercial products. So they use these things until they just literally have to change. Um, basically that AFTA may still be sitting in your tools either directly or, or indirectly. And AFTA is currently being used at, according to the article around 3000 institutions, which includes all sorts of public service things like schools and hospitals and so forth. All the exploits were found in the Mandiant report, which I also attached to this and revolved around some zero days that were found in the file transfer application. So anyway, the Klopp ransomware group then has started leaking a lot of university information on the dark web. And it would appear that they have done extensive exploitation of this particular uh, zero day and this particular product. Not all the victims have received ransom notes. Some of them uh, just found their data being leaked out on the, on the Internet. So Klopp may not even be bothering to ransomware these institutions because they know they don't have any money. They just went ahead and started selling the documents out or leaking them onto the Internet. The documents in the Inside Higher Ed article uh, included transcripts, medical records, grants, contracts, all kinds of stuff that they collect at, at university because they collect everything there about people and students. Um, but anyway, according to this article, this is my favorite part of the article, monitoring the dark web is a part of most universities' regular security plan. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that's based on, but I find that very hard to believe that very many universities, maybe, you know, your MITs do, but I really find it hard to believe that very many universities have like people monitoring the dark web. Maybe they do. I, I don't know. I don't have any evidence one or the other. But if you are using this product, you, you know, you may want to start monitoring the dark web to see if your information is being leaked. Ubiquity didn't respond to requests for days based on a whistleblower's claims that the company downplayed a massive breach that lasted about two months and ended in January. The IoT device maker was accused of downplaying this breach to protect their stock price. Can't, hard to imagine somebody doing that. They finally responded to the claims uh, in January with a letter that basically said, well, I know somebody claimed this happened, but it doesn't appear that anything actually happened. But you might want to change your passwords if you want to. Very low key. So Krebs on Security released a news source on Tuesday called Adam, who disclosed that attackers had gained administrative access to the servers on AWS and had seen pretty much everything. By then, they'd, by then I'd seen pretty much everything. Have you ever seen that Patrick Stewart clip from uh, the Ricky Gervais show? called extras or something like that. Uh, and the access would have allowed the attackers to remotely authenticate to pretty much any Ubiquity cloud-based device in the world. This is what the whistleblower claimed. Now, Ubiquity is still saying they're not sure anything actually happened. But on March 31st, a press release from Ubiquity said that it knew who conducted the attack and were working with law enforcement, which would pretty much seem to acknowledge that the whistleblower's claims that were downplayed in January were probably true. 
Um, the stock price since then has fallen down to $289 from about $400. Uh, it was $289.15 on April 1st, which was a few days ago, and it, it was 400 per share back in March. So it had taken a bit of a tumble once they sort of, you know, indirectly acknowledged this. Apparently, the content delivery network components of various collaboration platforms like Discord and Slack are being attacked. Basically, nothing new, uh, I mean, to me, but it was an interesting story. Uh, it was in the sense of getting users to click malicious links. But this time, it's being done by pushing the links directly into the platform using the CDN. And that basically allowed them to push a link onto these various chat rooms encrypted uh, without ever logging into the platform, by just knowing the URL of the board that they wanted to push this into, they were able to do this. And of course, other uses that are being d- used, uh, done with this are creating command and control servers for ransomware and using the API, um, you know, using that API for the platform. It's a pretty interesting article and they had a, it's a pretty serious threat since I think a lot of users feel like that there's links in these, you know, platforms might be safe. Um, you know, but and and now that we got a lot of less experienced users jumping on things like Discord and Slack, so you might just want to keep that in mind. Uh, a couple of quick stories from MSISEC today. Uh, there are multiple vulnerabilities in the Cisco RV series routers that could allow for arbitrary code execution. I put a link to the Cisco notification on that. And CISA released a new tool called Aviary, which is a dashboard used to analyze uh, post-compromise threat activity in Microsoft 365 environments. Uh, the tool specifically visualizes and analyzes outputs from the Sparrow tool, which they released back in December. So uh, a couple of interesting things from CISA there. Uh, glad to see them putting out free tools to help people out with that. And finally, if you have never used Clubhouse, it's which is a site where people gather in an audio-only room and the hosts can allow people to pitch themselves. So you basically... Uh, you, you, if you've ever seen this, you jump in there and then you can sort of stand up, uh, you know, in the audience and say stuff. Uh, and there's all sorts of different uses for it. The, the site has all kinds of things that are like normal, like product pitches and things like that. And really weird things like people trying to moan like whales and, uh, and you know, it's like any site. But this new site that this article reported was called NYU Girls Roasting Tech Guys, a bar simulation. And, you know, okay. So again, like nothing to see here, but basically it, it apparently took off because Elon Musk logged into it uh, the other night and that caused all the servers to crash because so many people started trying to jump on there after he tweeted about it. Um, it's basically people in a virtual bar trying to be witty and snarky and so forth without any actual drinks or actual people or actually being in the actual bar. So it's kind of like second life without the animation, I guess. I don't know, but it's audio only. So there's no animation or anything like that there, but it is apparently a really happening thing. I mean, can you figure out a way to push malware links through with audio only? We'll probably see some stuff on that pretty soon, right? Can you make like some kind of weird signal that, yeah, I don't know. It's it. I always think about stuff like that. Anyway, that's the news wrap-up for the week of 4 April 2021 in the time of plague. I am scheduled to get vaccinated. I am. Yay. Elon, call me. 